Well, what's good, church? Um, hopefully this past week has been good for you. I've reached, uh, several people have reached out to me saying, hey, we did the test, we did the assessment, we know what our temperaments are, and man, they did it as a family, and communication improved this week. So that's really exciting news. So we're in week two, in case you're joining us for the first time, we're in week two of a series called I Said This, You Heard That. And so let's recap. Last week, we were reminded that our words are powerful. Your words, my words are powerful. If you think about it, on average, we speak about 16,000 words a day. For some of you, let's take this, don't take this the wrong way, but you're well above average. But say an average book is 250 uh, pages. And that means our words will fill about 100 books a year. (laughs) One parent said (laughs) from last week, I personally don't write over 100 books a year. I actually write one book. And it's over and over and over again. It's don't run. Use your inside voice and apologize to your brother. Look, this makes paying attention to our words super, super critical. It's a critical life skill, knowing what we're saying, how we're saying it, and why we're saying it. So last week, we talked about this balancing scale. In an average relationship, you have for every one compliment, you have six criticisms. And so you say to your spouse, wow, that dress makes you look gray. It uh, brings out the color of your eyes. But then you say, I can't believe you did that. How could you be so? Why would you do that? Why would you do it that way? What about that? What about this? That's what they hear. In an average relationship, one compliment to six criticisms. And we wonder why marriages are falling apart. We wonder why uh, work environments are toxic. And we're wondering why kids are insecure. They're depressed and they're fighting anxiety. Because in an average relationship, we have a one to six ratio. And because we have that, guys, there's something has to change. Man, Something has to give in order for us to change this ratio. And so this whole series is based on a, a statement that Paul wrote to, to Christians. And, and this is the statement. No foul language. The word foul has two categories of meaning. Unhelpful and unhealthful. Unhelpful and unhealthful should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need. So Paul is warning us with using unhelpful and unhealthful words. An unhealthful word would be useless. It's, it doesn't benefit anyone. So say you're in a situation and you throw out some sarcastic negative remark. That doesn't help anything. That doesn't benefit anybody. Or unhealthful. You say something to this to someone. I can't believe you did this. You're such a blank. That is toxic. That is abusive. That is an unhelpful foul language. So these unhelpful words, they come from our temperaments. Like your temperament, we talked about last week, determines the words you speak. Your temperament determines the words you speak. It impacts what you say, how you say it, and and also what you hear. We talked about the four temperaments last week. There's four, and there's four Greek terms. And these terms were around 400 years before Jesus was born. So Paul knew these words. Paul was familiar with these temperaments. You have sanguine or yellow. Uh, You speak the language of people and fun. You often speak with animated, fun, exaggerated, people-oriented words and phrases like, 
hey, that sounds like fun. Hey, come join in. Or, oh, I totally forgot. Maybe you're choleric. You're red. You speak the language of power and control. You often speak with bossy, controlling, confident words and phrases like, I'll do it. Or hurry up. Or follow me. And then we have those who are phlegmatic or green. You speak the language of calm, serenity, harmony. You often speak with easygoing, patient, and kind words and phrases like, I'm no big deal. I'm good with whatever. Hey, can it wait until tomorrow? Or maybe you're melancholic. You're blue, like me. You speak with perfection and order. You, or you speak the language of perfection and order. Sorry about that. And often speak with detailed, analytical, compassionate words and phrases like, hey, I've been giving it some thought, and I think that's a really good idea. Or I don't trust that decision because the math just doesn't add up. Or are you sure that's safe? Look, we talked about this last week, and I'll remind everybody, look, there's no one temperament better than another. You may think that there is, but there isn't. It's all, they all have their strengths, and they all have their weaknesses. You have a choice. The words you use are the words you choose. So we're going to look again at Ephesians 4.29. Notice this. No foul language should come from your mouth. Remember, communication is a series of choices that come out of your mouth. It's a series of choices of what comes out of your mouth. That's what communication is. But only what is good for building someone up in need. So your temperament not only determines the words that you speak, but your temperament determines the words that you hear. Your temperament determines the words that you hear. As we said last week, there are, there are words that are more helpful to you than there are to other people. You have to know who you're talking to. It's really important. Because knowing your needs is important, but knowing the needs around you is essential to living out Ephesians 4.29. Think about it. Think about this balance scale. All right? Some of us, we, we try our best to stay positive things and helpful things, but it's only helpful to us. And so it really doesn't really make too much of a difference. But what begins to happen is when we speak according to how they need to be spoken to, it carries a lot of weight. It shifts the balance of compliments and criticisms. Your words are powerful. And when you speak the way that someone needs to be spoken to, it is disproportionately powerful. Guys, the words, uh, the use of the words is one common way that we share the gospel. Remember, the gospel is others first. Jesus put you ahead of himself. He put your needs ahead of himself. That's, that's huge. And he has called us to do the same thing. We need to live others first. Live others first. Notice what Jesus says about himself. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Paul's writing some commentary on this in Philippians. And he, he says, guys, I want you to be like Christ. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Living out the gospel, following Jesus' example. Everyone should not 
should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. That means speaking to the temperament of my wife, Jenny, changes the conversation every time with her. Speaking the temperament of my daughter, Brooke, changes every conversation with Brooke. Fill in the blank. Speaking according to the temperament of fill in the blank for you, whether it's your spouse, your kids, your teenagers, or it could be your parents, it could be your coworkers, your employees, your boss, your athletes, your students. Either we build up or we tear down. We build up or we tear down. We, we build up or we, we tear down. So think about this. Maybe these examples will help. Say, say you're a blue and you're married to a, a yellow. You're married to a sanguine. And you're not spontaneous. Look, I, I'm talking from experience. I got, I got no spontaneous bone in my body. It's a miracle when I do something spontaneous with Jenny. But for, for, for those of us who are blues, you have no spontaneous bone in your body, and you decide to do something spontaneous by having a child, uh, figuring out child care, taking your wife out on a date, and guys, when you're on the date, remember, spontaneous speaks volumes to a yellow. But when you complain during the date that it's not as perfect as it should be, think about this. Yellow, and you're, t- you're talking to a blue. Say you're the boss, and you're, uh, you task a blue to do some research. It's a big project. You have to make this big decision. Hey, give this to me in a week. So the blue does that. They do all the research. You're going to use this research to make this big decision. Meeting comes, and you decide to tell them, you know what, I'm going to go with my gut. You don't even look at the research. What that does is it devalues what they did, but it also demotivates them from doing it again. Maybe, maybe we have reds that are listening, and you have a green teenage daughter barking orders at your green daughter in the morning to hurry up and get ready for bed or get ready for school is the opposite of what gives her joy they like serenity they like peace they like going at their own pace and that's just creating stress for them how about greens communicating reds do you know that reds feel disrespected when you're either late or you don't show up for a meeting and you never tell them that you showed up for a meeting you weren't going to come they feel disrespected when you don't follow through guys speaking according to the needs of those around you, don't miss this, will transform your relationships. But it also fulfills a greater transcendent purpose. Notice the last part of this verse. So that it gives grace to those who hear. When we speak to the needs of others, we speak the language of grace. The language of grace is the language of God. As a follower of Jesus, we are not only invited to speak the language of grace, we are instructed to speak the language of grace. The language of grace is the language of God, and the purpose for our words is to reflect the language of God. So let me ask you, how are you doing? How are you doing with that? How are you doing with using your words to build up your circle of influence according to their needs. You know, we all have three circles. We all have three circles. One, and think of it like uh, concentric circles. So your smaller one, your inner one, it's your family. It's your close relationships. 
and then your intentional circle. Those are your family. Those are your friends, uh, co-workers, and then you have your influence circle. Those are your acquaintances. You have an opportunity in each circle to speak the language of grace. Now, let me ask you, which circle is the hardest? You know what the hardest one is? It's the ones that you're the most vulnerable with, which is going to be your inner circle. But your impact is like an earthquake. An earthquake, what happens is your impact in the middle, right, at the center, is more immediate and it's more substantial. And then it works its way out. And that's what happens in your relationships. Guys, I'll be honest. The language of grace sounds a lot different than the language of culture. And unfortunately, we are in a time right now where the language of Christians is a lot like the language of culture. There's not a difference between the two. And we're missing the language of grace. We're missing it in our homes. We're missing it in the work environment. We're missing out in our neighborhoods. We're missing out on that. Guys, social media has not played well. I know some of you get all jazzed up, get all rattled up, and you send something out on social media that you probably shouldn't. Guys, remember, the language of grace is different than the language of culture. And sometimes the language of grace is different than the language of Christians. Guys, the response time to your words is delayed the further you move out, like we talked about. Guys, we are managers in that inner circle, that intentional circle, and that influential circle. So, guys, the language of grace has true transformation power because it's the language of God. It's the language that God uses to speak to us. God's words to you, God's words to me, they're they're a grace gift according to our unique needs. And so when he speaks to you, he speaks to you with this grace gift according to your temperament. Guys, in Christ, you are chosen. You're holy. You're blameless. Ephesians 1, 4. In Christ, you are forgiven and not forsaken. 1 John 1, 9. In Christ, you have been set free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 2. Galatians 5, 1. In Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin. Romans 6, 6. In Christ, you are redeemed and not condemned. Romans 3, 24, 8, 1. In Christ, you are the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5.21. In Christ, you are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. In Christ, you have been made complete in Christ, Colossians 2.10. In Christ, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, Ephesians 5.8. In Christ, you are a saint, 1 Corinthians 1.2. In Christ, you were far away, but brought near by the blood of Christ, Ephesians 2.13. In Christ, you were created on purpose and for a purpose. Colossians 1.16. In Christ, you are God's work in progress. You were his workmanship. Ephesians 2.10. In Christ, you have been given God's spirit to guide and comfort you. 1 Corinthians 6.19. In Christ, you are acceptable and desirable. Romans 15.7. And in Christ, you are a welcome citizen of heaven. Philippians 3.20, in Christ you are no longer a slave, but you are adopted as a child of God. Galatians 4.7, in Christ you are an heir and pledged with an inheritance. You are promised an inheritance. Ephesians 1.11, 1 
and you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Ephesians 1 at 3. That's what God not only thinks of you, that's what he speaks of you. Guys, what if we were to live each day from these gracious words that God uses to describe us as we are in Christ? What if we go to that meeting? What if we handle that teenage daughter, that teenage son? What if we handle our preschooler? What if we handle our boss? What if we handle, for me, what if we handle the government, the, the local crazy government? What if we handle, we, we, we live from these gracious words, this is what God speaks of us. Because remember, we go back to the scale. When God speaks to us the way that we are spoken to, it carries so much weight. And that's what he's called us to do. The language of grace is the language of God. Guys, what if we allowed his words, his words that are powerful, that carry weight, meet our needs, they satisfy us, they fill our cups instead of needing it from other people? What would that look like for you? Well, guys, as we land the plane, as we get ready for week three, we're going to stop there, we're going to prepare for week three, but I would love to pray for you. Heavenly Father, as we finish out week two, you remind us that we are to speak the language of grace, that we are to share the gospel. We are, we are living out the gospel by speaking the language of grace, by being others first as we follow Jesus' example. And yes, you, you, God, you, you created all of us with this temperament, but man, the sin nature at times is so powerful that it wants us to speak unhelpful and unhealthful things to people. So Father, help us to yield and surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit that's in us so we speak the language of grace. We speak the language of God. And we're not using foul language. So help us do that. Help us to surrender to you. Help us to be empowered by you by surrendering to you. Father, for those who have yet to have a relationship with Jesus, I ask that you would give them the courage to click on one of our hosts and we would be able to walk with them and explain to them that God loves them, that sin separated them, and that Jesus rescues them. So God, help us use our words as we speak the language of grace this week. In Jesus' name, amen.